You're listening to Infinite Banking Radio with your host, Patrick Donahoe. You know, there's solutions out there to every one of the financial problems that Americans are facing today, and those solutions are right underneath their nose. The Infinite Banking concept has helped hundreds of thousands of individuals manage their hard-earned money effectively using time-tested financial principles that cannot fail. The intent of this podcast is to awaken these time-tested principles and reinstate certainty into the financial makeup of Americans. Our society is saturated in debt. Our portfolios are made up of the same speculative investments and theories that have failed us time and time again. The banking and securities industries have ruled financial planning for decades, and the only true benefactors are them. The infinite banking concept has proven to be the ideal solution. Hey everybody, welcome to uh, Infinite Banking Radio. This is Patrick Donahoe. We uh, appreciate you downloading the podcast for uh, for this month. Uh, we have some exciting stuff to uh, to talk about today. I have a special guest, uh, Brad Gibb. He, he is not a stranger to Infinite Banking Radio. He's been on several times before, but we're excited to have him back. Uh, before we get into our topic for today, which is uh, the the almighty the almighty not dollar but the almighty money I guess you can call it but uh, but for for those of you who uh, who are listening for the first time check us out on uh, on the internet we have a lot of different social media resources and so forth to uh, to be connected uh, subscribe to our newsletter we put out a newsletter once uh, once a month and have a summation of our YouTube videos um, our our blog posts our podcasts and so forth so if you're not uh, currently subscribed to our newsletter just go to www.paradigm life.net that's p a r a d i g m l i f e.net we also have a really cool guest uh, next month it's uh, Ken McElroy, who is a rich dad advisor with the Kiyosaki organization and uh, he'll be on talking about uh, the economy and about real estate so uh, so stay tuned for that um, also if uh, if if you uh, want more information about our company also visit that same website we have a lot of different resources on there about the infinite banking concept uh, what it is how it's applicable to your personal financial situation so so definitely check that out so we're going to talk about money money today okay and and money obviously is uh, is a part of you know pretty much everybody's everybody's life and uh, and Brad and I were, were talking uh, about a month ago uh, in regards to just you know some of the things relating to our society's understanding of money and uh, what it is, how it works, and and then what are maybe some of the faulty things that are going on right now because individuals just don't understand the, the true premise behind behind money. So so Brad, you know, thanks thanks for uh, for joining for joining me again. It's always a, a pleasure to have you on. But why don't you maybe give me you know give our listeners an idea of you know when we started to get into this conversation. I mean, what what kind of riled you up about the whole idea behind money? Uh, it's good to be back, Patrick. Thanks. And and riled up um, is right. I'm going to try to control my emotions here. But <laughs> but you like you said, we had some some pretty uh, intense discussions over the last month about this. And what got me going down this road was um, the 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 whole uh, protest the pro- exactly the, 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 the other ninety nine or the, the Occupy Wall Street Occupy Wall Street yeah. idea and their focus and idea of what money is that that's what got me thinking what what is money what is the discussion about mm-hmm. right and everybody knows that this you know there's certain qualities that money needs to have the visible durable widely accepted mm-hmm. right it, it becomes this medium of exchange mm-hmm. um, but. What what got me going down this line was was how how why is that involved why is that part of this whole discussion? 
And I, th- and I think not not to interrupt your train no, of thought, but yeah. I mean, you, you obviously your profession as as an accountant, as an auditor, as you know, you you obviously have a view on on different businesses and and understand the efficiency and inefficiency of money and taxes and so forth. So it's not like you're just coming out of the closet and saying, hey, I'm, you know, let's talk about money. I, you know, I, here's my opinion about it. Obviously, you've gone through, you know, you have a master's degree. You have a, an extensive amount of knowledge relating to to the money side of things. And so obviously your viewpoint is probably not the viewpoint that everybody has. Nonetheless, it probably has some some genuine, uh, has a genuine nature to it just because of what your background is. Well, yeah, exactly. I, I would consider myself for the last you know, five years in school, getting a master's degree, and then the last couple, you know, couple years here in my occupation. That, that's what I study. That's what I look at. That's what I deal with. You know, an author would, th- their medium is words. My medium is money, yep. right? And so, but I, I think I have taken a different view. I think my profession, especially, is exposed to the idea of what is currently accepted as what money is and what its role is. Mm-hmm. And I've, I think I've kind of taken an opposite view. And that view is. So, so the prevailing view is that money is nothing but a medium of exchange. Mm-hmm. It is something that we as humans have created as mm-hmm. we've become more intelligent and and as we've developed a more sophisticated society, we developed and created money. Mm-hmm. Whereas the the view I want to start discussing today and, and, and throw around is that money is just a representation of what has always existed, which is exchange between individuals and production. Mm -hmm. Before money existed, before we had this medium of exchange, Mm -hmm. somebody had to produce something to then trade it, right? So it it started off the basis of production and and moved into, I want something better, so I'm gonna trade that for you. So Mm -hmm. in order to have something to trade, you had to first produce, which is- Well, well, even, I mean, go back, and this is what's this is what's profound. I mean, go back to you know previous, I guess, not even modern society, but you know previous to exchange, because previous to that, you know, life was you know with the Neanderthal and you know individuals that lived tens of thousands of years ago. It was it was hunter gatherer, and it was kind of a societal. Hey, I'm I go out and and eat and and kill and, and that's what feeds what that's what feeds the family and feeds the tribe but then you started to get into you know to different exchanges whereas somebody you know might have created the axe or created a tool and what that did is it made life more efficient because it took time away from things you know the old way that took forever but now you had a tool or you had a method like the wheel things just became more and more and more efficient but the idea behind you know all of these different inventions or tools that made things easier came from the human mind. And what the individual did, they created whatever the service was or whatever the tool was, and now they were able to bring that into this, you know, not necessarily modern uh, 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 financial system, but they were able to bring it in just a very, you know, a very easy way in which they can exchange to somebody where they saw value. Yeah. So, so even before there were, you know, there was money or or mediums of exchange, like you were saying, people were exchanging goods and services. Yeah, and and money right now is, I think, is viewed as one of those tools when it's not really. Money is more accurately described as, as a receipt. Mm-hmm. I go and produce, and I'm given a receipt for mm-hmm. my production yeah. that I can go exchange for somebody else's yeah. production. And this idea of it being tied primarily to production mm-hmm. um, is the is the falsity that has been forgotten yep. or or wished away. Yep. And so the idea, I mean helicopter Ben has that, you know, got that nickname from saying that if necessary I'll drop money out of a helicopter yep. to to stimulate our economy. Yep. But if we remove that restriction or that uh, that underlying natural principle of mm-hmm. production being mm-hmm. tied to money, that model works. Okay, so so let's go so let's go to so, to money. So money okay. is not necessarily identified as as a dollar or a yen or a yuan, I mean, it's 
that that's not that's not money. So m- money is 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 a medium of exchange, and as mm-hmm. there's been different forms in the past. It's sure. you know seashells. It's been um, you know beaver pelts. It's you know people something that people. Uh, gravitate to as far as what they will see and you know and, and agree upon as as something valuable. Mm-hmm. So in order for somebody to exchange that type of you know raccoon pelt or whatever the case may be, okay, they need to view what they're exchanging it for as more valuable than the actual raccoon pelt or that or that form of money. Yeah. Now even before money, obviously you had an, an antiquated version of of exchange, which is. People, you know, had cows and they made milk and they wanted to exchange it for meat. But if they didn't need meat, okay, and the and the person needed milk, then there was an inefficient exchange because the person with milk didn't want to exchange with meat because they, you know, didn't see value in that meat, even though that person wanting to exchange the meat saw value in the milk. Right. So, so that's where the medium came where both parties agreed upon, hey, this is a medium that both of us consider valuable and I will exchange X amount of money for whatever the good is. Yeah, so it, it, it gets us out of the, the paradox of coincidence of wants, mm-hmm. right? If, if uh, like you said, if I have milk and you have meat, you know, and we both happen to want it in the same quantities, we can exchange it. But think of you know, me as an accountant and doing your taxes, how many people want to do their, t- you know, yeah. I, my coincidence of wants, it, it, that's a tough problem to overcome. Sure. And that's why we gravitated towards something that has this, that, that we can exchange yep. and say, if, if everybody always wants money, then if one half of every transaction is money, uh, it, it gets us out of that, that problem. And that adds value to the product that we're exchanging. Mm-hmm. So not only does the the beaver pelt have value because it can keep you warm. Mm-hmm. It has value because it's 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 readily exchangeable and, and yeah. people place so that it actually becomes more valuable as it becomes a medium of exchange. Yep. But but it being a medium of exchange alone can't give it value. You can't just arbitrarily decide something to be a medium of exchange. No. And 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 that's yeah. The, that whatever the medium market. is represents. The beaver pelt, yeah. but it represents the beaver pelt in the eyes of the person wanting. And so, over six thousand years, the milk. Yeah. over six thousand years, we gravitated toward gold and silver. That's just it, that's yeah. the good that became our medium of exchange because it, it had a lot of qualities that made it more desirable for there. Because a beaver pelt after five years or whatever starts yeah. falling apart, or yep. or it there's a lot of beaver out there. It's easier to go to go yeah. much more, and yep. they become less valuable. Gold and silver have kind of become that. Yep. So let's let's maybe look at just gold and and yeah, it's. You look at, I mean, even in the Bible, it's like, you know, the streets of heaven are paved with gold. Now, obviously, they're probably not paved with gold, but what that does, it represents probably the most valuable commodity that, that's out there. Or the or the most, yeah, what, what people would identify as something being valuable yeah. or desirable. And again, people, meaning, you know, multiple individuals agreeing upon that this specific thing has value. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. and then silver, silver, same thing. So right. why, why gold, why gold and silver? Well, that, that, that's exactly what we were talking about. It, why gold and silver? It's it's something that's valuable. It has inherent value in itself. Mm-hmm. And that not saying that take the exchange value out of it. It's pretty, right? We like jewelry made out of sure. it. It's it's nice. So it, it has inherent value by mm-hmm. itself. And then further, the, the thing that makes it money is it has the qualities. It's durable. It's divisible. Mm-hmm. It has a high value per unit of weight. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's it it has evolved into this. Well, it's, it's scarce too. It, exactly, it, it's scarce. So it's not like 
you know, it's not like it, seashells. You yeah, can't just walk down to this room, pick a whole bunch of it up, and then all of a sudden then, you're rich. And just exchange it because there's so much abundance there that it really wouldn't have value because everybody could get it in exchange. Yeah. But with gold, obviously, you know, especially these days, there's a lot of process that goes into mining and and then you know, obviously, melting it down and taking out the different elements. And I don't even know how the heck that works. But right. you know, there's a lot of things, a lot of you know, resources that go into actually creating, creating that gold. Yep. So you know, people again have have you know, they, they've gravitated and they've looked at this precious, precious metal or precious commodity as as something that's inherently inherently valuable. So mm-hmm. okay, so now that we now that we know that, obviously we look at uh, that as a medium of exchange, which has some. Um, inefficiency. So why is gold, why is that an inefficient inefficient form of exchange or commodity of exchange? Or, or why is it believed to be? I, I mm-hmm. think it, I don't think it's inefficient. It's okay. inefficient for those who don't want to produce mm-hmm. to have money, okay. right? So if I want money mm-hmm. without production, mm-hmm. then gold is inefficient for me mm-hmm. because I can't create more of it. I mm-hmm. can't, it's not fungible. I can't manipulate it okay. in a way to benefit me. Okay. And so that's, as as governments started to play the expand their roles, mm. I don't know. There's always been tyrants, and there's always been people who've wanted to govern, and sure. there's always been people who've wanted to tell you what to do. Mm-hmm. And so, as governments have grown, and we've wanted them to play a bigger role, they've said, "Well, in order to do that, mm-hmm. I have to have resources at my command." And so, instead of going out and voluntarily getting people to buy into that, mm-hmm. they needed a way to do it. Uh, easier, okay. right? And that was the whole idea when when the Federal Reserve was created, and 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 we went to a fiat system. Yep. P- part of the 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 reason we wanted a fiat money was it's more flexible, okay. and it gives the government more options that yeah. they can run a deficit while we're in a recession in okay. order to boost spending because it's something that they can manipulate. Whereas gold, they couldn't. Okay. They had to exchange value for value. Okay, so let's so let's go to kind of the the original premise of of a paper of a paper dollar. Okay, so in the beginning, it was basically a receipt, okay, that a person had as as a deposit of their gold or, right. or goods. So people would go to a, a bank and they deposit this, you know, large amount of phys- something physical, physical gold or physical silver, and the bank would give them a, a receipt against that that value. Yeah, does that make sense? Okay. Yep. So so now we're at now we're at that point. So basically, okay. there is a there is you know basically a, a backing of paper currency, which is a little bit more efficient as far as exchange. It's easier can, to carry around, yeah, right? You it's, can't, like, it's not as heavy. Yeah, because you don't want to have a backpack for a full of gold yeah. you have to you know carry around. It's much easier to carry around pieces of paper. And it's safer, right? It, it, exactly. It's harder to steal from you okay. if so, it's if it's being protected. Yep, so sure. again that re- that receipt again is a is a paper dollar, but yet everybody is, you know, gravitating toward that paper dollar because what it does is it represents something inherently valuable, which is which is the gold that, that's deposited. Okay, but then banks get into this whole idea. Even before the Federal Reserve, banks got into this idea, uh, or a cent- or any central bank, not just the Federal Reserve, but they get this idea that hey, if they have all this gold, okay, they know you know more or less uh, how many people are just gonna you know go out and and spend all spend all of that paper currency. So what they started to do is they started to print extra paper currency more so than what they held in deposit as gold. Right. Okay. So so we we started to enter the, the realm fractional, of fractional reserve the banking. Fractional reserve mm-hmm. banking. So they might have. You know, a million dollars of gold, but they might have ten million dollars of paper currency representing that one million dollars of gold. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that's where things started to get super, super chaotic. Well, but but was there a way to control that ever? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so because people would come in and redeem their notes, if they started to get worried that they're thinking, well, you have a lot of these notes from ABC Bank, and I have a whole bunch of them. 
I'm not sure they have enough. I'm going to go get my gold. I want my gold instead of these paper. Yeah. And then and then that would be a check on it, yeah. right? They would the bank would start ha- having all this gold withdrawn yep. and then they start saying, "Well, crap, we can't keep printing these. We got to yeah. call them in. We got to change something. Yeah. They'll go out of business and because they, there's and, no more gold there." And they did. Yeah. Tons Absolutely. of banks went out of business because of that. So, mm-hmm. there was a way in which you could have inhibited that from happening, right. which is there could have been some mechanism that, you know, individuals or banks could not print they could not have more paper currency than the amount they held in deposit in, yeah. in gold, and that would have been that would have been fine. Yeah. And, okay. and and that was the law before. Yeah. It, instead of the way it is, you know, the way it used to be was I put ten ounces of gold in the bank, and I got a receipt for ten ounces of gold, and that gold sat in a section with my name on it, yeah. and it was mine. Yep. Right, and and they couldn't do anything with it. It, it was it, it was that way. But but then the law evolved and changed, and it became a thing where I'm loaning the bank my money, yep. and they get to make entrepreneurial decisions with it, yeah. which is they can lend it to other people and they can spit it out and do all this stuff. Yep. And that's where this this idea that that I don't have to get the exact same ten pieces of gold back that I gave you yeah. as long as I get ten pieces of gold back. Exactly. And and so that that's where they started to be able to yep. to, to deviate from. From a hundred percent back, and then you had the then you had central banks that came in, mm-hmm. and the the premise behind you know the Federal Reserve or most central banks is that it's a it's a lender of last resort. Mm-hmm. It's this medium that supposedly is objective, and it comes in when a bank gets caught with their pants down, and they have people wanting all of their gold and wanting all of their money back, but there's not enough there mm-hmm. in the bank in the reserves to be able to do that. So the Federal Reserve would step in and. And obviously bail bail them out. Mm-hmm. And since then, it's escalated. Yeah. Okay. And obviously, we can get into how the Federal Reserve has escalated, how how money has gotten off. It went off the gold standard during you know Great Depression, that, and then finally in 1971 with the uh, you know Bretton Woods Agreement, that whole that whole thing, it, it completely went off any type of standard. So now our money is not backed by anything standardized. Yeah. Okay. And obviously, that puts the government in the position or the Federal Reserve in the position where they can actually physically create money out of, out of thin air. Yeah, so the question now that uh, that you gotta ask yourself is what is a dollar? Yep. A dollar used to be a specific number of grams of, of gold or silver. Or silver. It, it, was, it was defined as a weight, it yep. was a unit of weight. Yep. What, what is a dollar now? Yep. Yeah, it's it's not definable. It's not, yeah, it's not. It's it's big. Now we still, as a society, we agree that it has that it has value. Okay, but I think if people really knew what was going on, they would not think it has as much value as well, as, uh, as, it, as, as a and, and this is where the whole premise. I'm sure people are wondering why are we getting a history yeah, lesson yeah. here. <laughs> but that, that's that's now it's to show that money used to have two sources of value. It was it was valuable in and of itself for some use, yep. and it was valuable because it was exchangeable. Exactly. Our dollar is only valuable yep. because it's exchangeable. Yep. It has nothing else around it. It's yep. only because it's exchangeable, and and now how is that value per- perpetuated? Yep. So so now let's now let's consider that. So obviously, you know, with the Wall Street protesters and kind of what's going on there, um, people. I think today people are looking at the the wealthy and are 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 demeaning them or they're devaluing them, and it's. I think it's on a fault a faulty premise. So if you look at somebody that's wealthy that has a lot of money. Okay, why, why do they have a lot of money? Okay, number one, they either earned it or created something okay, that was valuable to somebody in which they would exchange a ton of money, or they stole it, is there, is there, or, that, or they were gifted it. There's no other way in which a person becomes wealthy. They either do it by fraud and deception, or they do it because they 
create something, an invention, uh, a good, a service, or, or whatever, in which that service is so valuable to so many people that all those people gave them money. Right. So if, what does that go? So what does it represent? What well, does a yeah, dollar represent? Right. If if you want more money, you can get like you said, it's it's in the pockets of other people. Yep. And you can get it one of two ways. Like you said, you can either go up to them and say. What do you want more than that dollar, and I'll give it to you. Yeah. And and you you, and you make an exchange. an exchange, or you bring a gun or a knife, yep. or you're bigger than them. Yep. You beat them up and you yep. take it out of their pockets. That's the only. That's the only no other way. way. And then charity, obviously charity, which is again a, a voluntary exchange. You earn it, right? You yeah. can go up to them and say, "You want to help this poor person? Give yeah. me your money, and I'll do it." It's yeah. voluntary. It's exactly. either voluntary or it's involuntary. Okay. There's two ways to get money. So the thing is, if if somebody has earned earned that money, we have to look at it from a moral perspective. Everybody has a mind. Everybody has talents. Everybody has opportunity. And there's a certain amount of resources out there that people can put all these pieces of the puzzle together and create something, whether it's a good or service, that is valuable to somebody else. And in that exchange, if a person voluntarily exchanges their dollars with this individual, and that individual now has a ton of money, that is a, that is a moral transaction. Okay, Meeting this individual use their you know abilities and their talents and all the resources around them and their mind to basically create this this sum of money. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, what's even more profound is that the people that are exchanging that money with them, they went out and earned that money, mm-hmm. and they did it from a moral perspective. Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of the moral idea of an economy. So why why you know do do we think that there is a moral economy right now? I don't think I don't think so. I, an, I think people are, I, I think people are disillusioned. Yeah. Right. They're just assuming that anyone that got rich had to have gotten rich through the second way, yeah. through some type of defraud, fraud, fraud or, or deceit or yep. something to exactly. make them not moral. That's why these protesters are so frustrated yeah. is because they're seeing all this immorality yep. that has been inserted into our financial system. Yep. So so I guess why is that a new thing or why is that happening now? Because yep. I agree with some of the stuff that they're, that they're saying, but I'm, I'm agreeing on it because I think... I see a little bit bigger picture, and what they're doing is is, is something that it's out of frustration and anger. So, but they don't know what they're doing. Exactly, <laughs> they're they're not sure who they're mad at because they don't understand money. Yep. They are thinking right now, and I've heard a lot of them. I mean, they want student loan forgiven, or you know, there are some of these demands they're placing. They're not they're not mad at the system though, because yep. in a true in a in a hard money system, yep. in a in a moral mm-hmm. money system of yep. money where it can't be manipulated, yep. there can't be this. People can't systematically get rich through force or deception because the money supply can't be manipulated so in order to get it somebody you know these banks they're 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 seeing the idea that these banks are getting rewarded by the government for doing what they think is is not a good thing right right? so so they're getting all these bailouts and they think why don't we get bailouts or why are they getting bailouts if it was a money moral money system the bailouts couldn't happen would would have never happened right now it's not it's not like that was those those you know bank bailouts was was the first thing that was done immoral Okay, no. it, it's been going on for a Forever. long time, and it's just getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And, but, and let, but let's, I think we should pick apart just really briefly the the bank bailout and what and what that was, because basically, you know, it, it really and there was a couple different types of bailouts. You, you know, you first had Bear Stearns, and then you had the whole Lehman Brothers thing, and 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 then you had actual, you know, the Federal Reserve actually giving money to, you know, mark, marking up marking up all the different accounts of, you know, Bank of America and Wells Fargo and and so forth, but. Basically, um, you know, if you, if you look at that, the Federal Reserve marked up a bank account. 
So they marked up, you know, Wells Fargo $25 billion or, or whatever it was. So they marked that up. Where did that $25 billion come from? Okay. It, it didn't come from It didn't production. come from anywhere. Okay. Because remember, what does money represent? Money represents, you know, a, a, a proposition of value. It, it represents a receipt of something being valuable. If the Federal Reserve just goes out there and gives $25 billion to a bank, okay, it compl- it's a complete immoral transaction. Completely mm-hmm. immoral transaction. And they didn't just do it to, to Wells Fargo. They did it to foreign banks. They did it to foreign countries. I mean, this you know semi-soft audit of the Federal Reserve that happened a couple months ago, okay, they looked at how many people, I mean, it's, in, it's insane. How many people got bailed, bailed out? And what does that bailout mean? It basically means that they marked up or they just gave money that didn't exist previously to somebody that did not earn it. Mm-hmm. They gave it to somebody that did not earn it. And so at that point, I think we're on the on the same side as yeah. these protesters, right? From that we standpoint, that, that that was wrong. But so what's the solution? Yeah. Well, then to, the bank. Well, think, and oh, the, keep going. Yeah, well, pre- remember the Federal Reserve and the, and the government's premise was to basically create uh, dollars that they could then inject into the economy mm-hmm. and stimulate and rebound the economy. But banks. They didn't do. They didn't do any of that because the Federal Reserve could not force them to, to do that. Right. And so that was the original premise, but banks didn't do that, and they paid themselves bonuses and all this other stuff. So who who's the culprit, right? With 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 this transaction, with the Federal Reserve giving you know twenty five billion dollars to to Wells Fargo or to Bank of America or Goldman Sachs or, or wherever, okay. I mean, who who's at who's at fault, okay? Both of them are at fault, yeah. but at the same time, who created the, who created right. the decision? It was, the, it was the Federal Reserve. Right, and that's where they're pointing at the wrong problem. They're saying this person it's got a bailout, yep. and they're thinking, well, they want somebody else to have the bailout. Yeah. And they're not reason, realizing that the problem is is that a bailout can occur, yeah. that, that a system it's is a, in place that allows it. They're, they're just trading one bad decision for another one. Exactly. They'd say, well, I didn't like who you decided to favor and give money to. I want you to give money to somebody else and yep. that's going to be better. Yep. That we can all just group as a group decide yep. who should get this immoral transaction. Yeah. It's not going to fix it because yeah. it's based on a broken system. And that's the thing is when the Federal Reserve did that, they, you know, and it was all, it was, who knows what the freak happened. I mean, it was yeah. probably just cr- craziness. But anyway, you know, they, they did it because, you know, Wells Fargo probably didn't, didn't need any money or um, a, another bank like BB&T probably didn't need any money. But what they did is they gave money to everybody. So it created the illusion that all banks were kind of under the same distress. Okay. But that was not the case. There were just a few banks that were in trouble. So if they didn't give the bailout, what would have happened? A few of the banks would go down of business. And that is capitalism. Okay, capitalism, basic, a true capitalistic society is that if a business cannot survive in an economy, it's going to go out of business. Why is it going to go out of business? Okay, because it could not create enough value that people would exchange dollars for it. That is, that's morality. Okay, businesses that bring their good to the marketplace. Okay, if it's a completely ambiguous, a, a completely, like let's say somebody wanted to create the, the eight track player today. Like I have this amazing idea. I'm going to create the eight track player. Right, and they brought it out. I mean, they would go out of business, right? So, what if the government came in and bailed them out and gave them more money and more money, like Solyndra? Okay, they just gave yeah. them more money and more money and more money. Okay, and they kept they stayed alive for a couple of years and they kept going. It's a completely immoral. It's an immoral transaction on all sides. Yeah, well, and and the and. I hope we don't get. I hope we're not boring people with with our economic analysis. <laughs> I love this. But, Everyone else probably is hung but, up by it. <laughs> but the but the other the other reason that makes it immoral is is we do live in a scarce world, right? Yeah. There's only so many resources to go around, yeah. and we want to use those resources as best as possible. As efficiently as possible. But what is the measure of 
as efficiently as possible, right? A lot of people think that a group of really smart people ought to get together and say, this is what everybody wants or needs, and so we're going to say that resources need to be used in, in such a way. But the only moral way to do that is what, what people actually want. Yep. And you get one dollar, one vote. Yeah. You're voting with your dollars or you're voting with your money yep. and saying, this is what I actually want. And that's why capitalism works, is it's saying, we don't want an A-track player. Yep. And if a company is allowed to continue to produce it, they are wasting valuable resources yep. and they're not putting it into the most productive of uses that society wants. Yep. And it's wrong for them to, to perpetuate wasting yep. everybody else's resources. Yep. So the only way to ensure that they are producing as efficiently as possible is through everybody freely exchanging and yep. saying, no, this is what I want and that's not what I want. Yep. And, it's, and, and so that's why a company going out of business is a good thing. Because people could be sitting back and saying, well, that's a terrible thing because people lose jobs and, yeah. and there's all this stuff. And yes, that's right. Yep. But it's better that that we're using our resources appropriately and and doing things that we want as a society. And yep. the only way to measure that is through moral, voluntary transactions. Exactly. Because the thing is, people don't realize that. Yeah, people will lose jobs, but then there'll be another another business created, and they'll get a better job where they're creating more value and probably make more money. Seen that's that's the people. Unseen. That's what people don't they don't see. Right. Is you know, Ron Paul obviously wants to get rid of like the Department of Education and the Department of you know Housing, Urban Development, you know, the Department of Energy. Here's are like tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of jobs. What are those people going to do? I mean, first off, people don't realize that all those departments are funded by taxes, which comes out of the pocket of people that could otherwise make that money productive. Mm -hmm. Okay, now those people, if they have all that money back, they'll go out and create businesses where they probably will employ these different government workers that were there before, and they'll probably make more money and create more value and be a lot happier. Yeah, that's what people don't re they don't they don't realize. I mean. Again, there's there's a role of government. You know, there's a proper role of government. But right now, the government is basically playing God and and thinking, like you said, it's a bunch of smart people in a room thinking they can make decisions for other people. Now, they're probably really smart, okay? But nobody can replace the decision making power of an individual yeah. ever. It's it just doesn't it doesn't work. It's com it's completely immoral. It's like a, it's like slavery. Okay, hey, I'm gonna buy you as a slave, and I'm gonna tell you what to do because I think that's what's the most productive use of your time. Okay, that, so that's, I mean that's that's what it comes down to. Okay, so if listeners are, are out there saying, well, but isn't this based on Nobel laureates who, you know, proved out this economic theory? How did we get into this mess? How did how did if 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 really all these smart people have these theories and and models and formulas, yeah. why? Why did we all agree to this? Or yeah. why did it get to the point that it's at? Or why, yeah. how can, because somebody could sit down and put together a very eloquent argument, the same way we are. Yeah, on the other side. The, the, on the other side. Yeah. How can they do that? Yeah. Well, and and yeah. it comes down to this, let, let, let's tie into this discussion of moral money and yeah. moral transactions yeah. back into how, how we could deceive ourselves into believing that this system does work. Yeah. Well, I think it comes down to hu human behavior. Humans are sporadic. We're, we're not perfect. And you cannot calculate exactly what we're going to do. People think you can. But again, people change all the time. Our perspectives change. Our behavior change. Our habits change. And if you can think you could put all these things on a different spreadsheet and calculate exactly what people are going to do, no. you're deceiving yourself. Yeah. Okay. So and that's what people have done. They've just said if X happens, Y happens, Z happens, and this this is what the outcome is going to yes. be. And that's just not it's not going to be the case. So all the time. so one assumption that 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 our current system is based on is omniscient leadership. Yep. That that the people in charge know better. Mm -hmm. They they have yep. some access to knowledge yep. or enough knowledge to make the right decisions, yep. right? And I think we would all agree that that anybody, no matter how smart they are, is fallible yeah. in that area. Yeah. The second, I think, assumption that we're that we're operating under, and I'll I'll give you an analogy of how it's working in my brain, is that if we took. Um, uh, took a, a natural law mm -hmm. and assumed it away and just mm -hmm. said, if that wasn't the case, mm -hmm. 
what could we do? Let, let's take gravity, for example, just because mm-hmm. it's obvious. Yeah. If, if we took gravity out of, the, of our uh, equations in physics, yeah. think of the things that we could achieve as a society. Yeah. How, what cool inventions could we come up with <laughs> if gravity didn't exist? Sure. Right? So we could base a whole new set of physics yeah. based on this idea that gravity doesn't exist. Yeah. And that, that doesn't exist today. Yeah. Uh, th- those models or those inventions or things don't exist today. Yeah. But if we, ex- if, if we assumed away gravity, look at all the things that we could do. Yeah. And that's what we've done in our, in our economic system is we've assumed away the fact that money is production. Yep. That money represents you first produce and you, you do it on a moral level. Yep. And, and that is what it benefits and makes everybody wealthier. Yep. If we assume that away, all of these these models work. Yep. They function. Dropping money from a helicopter works yeah. because because then we have more to exchange and, and, and there is more value in the economy and, and, and <laughs> prosperity can, can come about. Yeah. But let's put that assumption back in and then say, let's drop production from a helicopter. What, you can't what do, do you, that. You yeah. can't do that, yeah. right? It, it kind of shows the absurdity yeah. of this model. Well, that we, we, I think we have to, don't, please don't lose your train of thought, but the whole dropping money from a helicopter, that's just not an example. That's actually something that Bang Bernanke actually said. Because yeah. he basically, his whole, his whole economic life, he studied the Great Depression and came to the conclusion as far as what he would do if that were to occur again. And he basically said, if I had to, I would, you know, get into a helicopter and drop money on everybody. Yeah. And the nice thing. He literally him, said that. Yeah, he did. And the nice thing for him is that he doesn't have to do that because he can just add more zeros to certain people's well, accounts. Well, he did do it. it he, exactly. He did do it. It's the same yeah. thing. And yeah. so to think that by giving Wells Fargo $25 billion makes them more valuable or more productive is a farce because you can't just give somebody production. You yeah. can't give uh-huh. them value. Yep. They have to create it. Yep. And so nothing was accomplished yep. in this whole thing if you look at it, if you expose that yep. you know, false idea. Yep. And, and that, to me, exposes the, the error yep. in the model that we've all bought into yep. and why it's not working. You can perpetuate that for a time, mm-hmm. but not forever we're seeing that that is starting to not work well the thing is what i what i wanted to kind of you know in in the beginning my my first kind of statement revolved around the individual mind and the individual having the environment to be able to utilize that mind to create value for other people and those and that you know that environment it has to consist of a few things and right now that environment is being inhibited by different social programs now do i think that there's a role for welfare and social programs Absolutely. absolutely Okay. However, at the same time, what you're doing is you're providing too much. And what it's doing is it's taking the people that could otherwise use their mind and be productive and create value for themselves. You're, you're not giving them the incentive to do that. Okay. They've been giving their sustenance. They've been giving their, their lifestyle. They've been giving all these different things, which puts them in the position of comfort and laziness where they're not going to go out and start to use their mind and figure out things to do. And that's the other thing is where did the money come to fund those social programs? And people are obviously, you know, very, and this was, it's infuriating to me um, about the whole immigration issue. And I know this is totally a different topic, topic but, it's, but it's, it goes along the same premise. Um, is, you know, in, individuals are very upset that, you know, illegals are taking my jobs and illegals are doing this and illegals are doing, they're all in jail and, and whatever. And, and, and I guess there's some probably truth to, to some of it. But at the same time, you know, why do individuals cross into the United States? A lot of it these days is, is for social programs. They can get welfare, they can get food stamps, they can have their family taken care of where they can't get that in other countries. 
Okay, but basically they're coming because they don't understand the premise of money. If those programs didn't exist, the only reason why they would come to the United States is because of what? They would want to produce. Yep. And if they didn't produce, they would die. So they would be better off in their in their original country probably. Yep. And that's why, you know, a lot of libertarians say we should just open up the border. I mean, take down the fence. We don't need a we don't need a fence. If you take away all the incentives for them to come here, I mean, they're going to come here to produce, and if they don't, they will They will die. Yeah, and well, you're cold-hearted, Patrick. <laughs> uh, well, no, and people have told me that, and my wife, you know, my wife is originally from, from Mexico, and, you know, until she understood my, my agreement, she was she was upset with my, my perspective, but yep. they, but, I mean, she loves it now. And, but, and you got to think of it from, you know, we can sit here and say, in our opinion, there's too much of X or too much of Y, yep. and, and we can't prove that. Everybody's opinion is, yep. is different. There's people that would think that there's not enough, yep. but the only way to accurately measure that is is if people voluntarily choose to do it. Yep. And that's why Patrick and I believe that there's too much of those programs yep. because it's more than the free market would, would provide on its own. Yep. Uh, it has to be done through force at this point, which yep. is what the government programs um, involve always. Yep. At, at the end of it, they're they're forcing transactions that, that wouldn't occur otherwise. Yep. And 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 don't please don't hear what we're not saying. We're right. not we're not saying that it's that there's no place for those programs yeah. or that there's no need for it. It's just it needs to be done on a moral level, it needs Absolutely. to be done on a voluntary level. Mm-hmm. Uh, which will keep in check how much of it and where these incentives come from and, yep. and how it all goes. And it, it goes back to the only way to ensure that we have the 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 market functioning and, and determining what's going on is the only way to have all of that is, is through having a sound money yep. and through understanding what it is. I guess that's why we're we're talking about this and, the, and, and these protesters ought to be focused not on which program should be favored because there's always going to be a group that, that that thinks that there should be more of one thing and less of another. Yep. But it's it, we need to attack the system that's allowing that. Yep. And we need, need to attack the Federal Reserve yep. and and the, the fact that we have a fiat currency mm-hmm. that, that is allowing this, this behavior to exist, yeah. it, it, we can't trade one tyrant for another. Nope. We need to we need to go back to to, to that idea of free exchange and and sound money. Yeah, and people and and that it's very hard for people to understand a lot of those a lot of those terms just because they don't. Yeah. You know, we're not we're not necessarily taught a lot of these a lot of these a lot of these theories. Yeah. Uh, and there's obviously like you were saying there's there's multiple there's multiple arguments and a lot of people and, I, and we're not saying that we know everything. But you know, looking at looking at what we've studied and, and what we know in the conversations that we've had, and a lot of other p- people believe this way as well. It's you just you have to understand that premise premise of money, and if you understand that first, then you will understand why the system is faulty. You will understand who the culprit is, and it's and it's not the the one the one percent uh, as far as what people think. It's the one percent of you know most likely government. It's it's that one percent of people that are basically manipulating the system and jacking up and having all sorts of unintended consequences. Yeah, the, they're mad at the at the one percent that supposedly controls the ninety nine. Yeah, but the if you know really if if you want to look at who is controlling who, mm-hmm. you know who really has the money, right at this point it. It's not Bill Gates. Yeah. It's not Peter Schiff. It's the government. They're the ones that can create it and give it to whoever they decide. So they're the ones controlling. And, and we need to take that control back. Mm-hmm. And by taking it back, it's not through raising up arms and going and storming the mm-hmm. White House. It's, it's getting rid of their ability to control the money and control who has it yep. and, and go back to... To, to that type of society, yeah, and that's what's unfortunate. As far as you know, I, I, I can understand the. And I, we probably have to end up in a little bit, but 
I can understand the objective of the protesters. They're, they're upset, yeah. and they have a. They, they should be, and they should be. I'm, I'm, I'm upset. We're all, we're all upset as, as far as what's going on, but the way in which they're going about trying to solve the problem is, is kind of a 1960s viewpoint. Today, we have so many other resources to be able to convey messages. Um, you know, I did, I did a presentation in Chicago to a group of insurance guys uh, a few weeks ago. And one of the examples I used is a woman out of uh, out of Egypt, and she basically did a YouTube video uh, back in January that caused this huge you know protest in, in Egypt at the end of January, and it was because she utilized the resource of of technology to be able to get a specific message across, and, and she was able to do that. Now I'm not saying that you know protesters go out and just create a bunch of YouTube videos, but what I'm saying is that the message can be conveyed to a lot more people with with less craziness involved because protesting you know there, there's some craziness factor to it you yeah. have the guys that show up in like you know yoda masks and you know it's like that's not gonna you're just gonna look like a, a looney tune yeah but there's ways in which we can get things solved and what, but what's good is that people are upset and hopefully they'll get to the point where they understand who the culprits are and what we can do to kind of change the whole system yeah. up. well and the reason you know our protest isn't go and stand on a government official's door until they finally say, well, okay. fine, I'll do whatever yeah. you want. Yeah. That's not fixing anything. Nope. It's just perpetuating the problem. Yeah, yeah you may get what you want, mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean that's the right answer. Yep. And so I guess our form of protest is education, yep. um, talking to people and, and getting this, uprooting some mm -hmm. of these false ideas. But what if somebody comes to you, Patrick, and says, well, I don't, economics just isn't my thing. Yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to do it from an economics. Day. I don't want to, you know, that, that's not my strong point, but, but we were talking about it before we started the podcast again, that, that economics isn't, it doesn't have anything to do with money. It doesn't have anything oh. to do with that. It's economics is the study of interactions. It's a yep. study of, of, of how people behave. Yep. And, and it's and involved with everything. It, everything. It, it, because human behavior and human interaction is involved in everything. Yep. That, that's, I guess that's yeah. my view of economics and yeah. why I'm interested. And, and that's the thing. It's like people get so disenchanted with, with economics. And, and, I, and they rightfully can do that because a lot of the, you know, the verbiage that's used and the words, it's like, what the heck are these guys talking yeah. about? But there are a lot of you know modern economists that have written in very in very plain English, and you can understand you can understand why why certain things happen, yep. and you know looking at that it, it has to do with everything it has to do with education. There's a con economics behind education and salaries and, and this and that. Uh, there's be behind food production, behind um, behind banking, behind insurance, behind everything, every type of industry, every type of you know thing that it's involved in an economy. Economics is, is involved. Yep. So understanding the philosophy behind that is going to help individuals realize, you know, what's up, what's going on, and, and why. Yeah, and and that so that's the that's the charge is, is to get out there and get yourself educated and learn and research and and come to a conclusion on your own uh, yeah. on your own of and, and really understand the fundamentals of it. And that's that's one thing I know. Um, that you know, this is I guess my plug for infinite banking because it puts you in that different frame of mind and you start seeing the world from a different perspective. You, you disengage from the system that is being perpetuated and, and, and it, you know, as I got more and more involved in it and I, I started to look for ways to be more productive, I, I started to look for ways to utilize it and, and research and understand it and I, and I started to, to, to come into that different mindset. Yeah. And so that's, there, there's so many tools out there for that, yep. and and you know you you're doing it through that. I, I try to do it through my profession, and and but that that that's that was the the big exciting thing about me is this is this is a chance for me to live mm. some of those principles that that I hold and that I understand and, and see the, the fruits of them. Yep. No, I mean that the 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 banking concept itself was derived based on 
Wall Street economics. I mean, Nelson Nash obviously was a, a student of a certain school of economics for so many years. And he obviously had, you know, some different professions that he was involved in until he got to the point where he recognized how to apply all of those, you know, very moral principles to a, a specific system. And that's yep. what exists. That's what exists today. But, you know, other than that, I mean, there's check out some of the, the links on our website. I've had, you know, a, a couple of interviews with some economists who are our age, which are in their in their 30s and and understand that they don't want to disenchant people or confuse people with verbiage and words and, and language that, that doesn't make sense and makes you look smart. But at the same time, doesn't really impact people because they have no idea what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. So, look at look at those. I mean, there's a couple other links that I'll put on the podcast: the Mises Institute, uh, Mises.org, uh, or the Foundation for Economic Education, which is uh, fee.org. Yep. There's a lot of different resources, and what's exciting is that these these. Uh, um, you know, these organizations are growing by, by leaps and bounds. There's a lot of other people that are starting to awaken to a lot of these principles. And I think we're going to get out of this. I, I think that, you know, human beings, we have uh, the ability to solve problems and we've always had that. And we've, we've evolved and we've gotten smarter to a degree. And I think we'll find our way out of this. But what it's going to take is not necessarily a politician making a specific decision yep. or a law being created or this being abolished or that being abolished. It's that the, the frame of mind and the perspective of the individual of individual citizens when it comes to their viewpoint on what they're doing, on why they're creating, you know, why they're going to school and, and why this and why that. Once they understand the fundamentals and the economics behind it, I think, you know, our society will change and, and get better. So yeah, that's the goal. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you for being on with us uh, today. It's a little yeah, bit longer of a, of a podcast. Thanks but, for sitting through the history yeah, lesson. Seriously. But, uh, but yeah, stick with us for, uh, for next month's podcast. It'll be an exciting one. Uh, for the resources that we've been mentioning, uh, go to paradigmlife.net, www.paradigmlife.net, P-A-R-A-D-I-G-M-L-I-F-E.net. That's all for this month. Thanks, everybody.